only a short intro today with Saturday's postponement. Ant Copeland thought the game at Wigan was one of two halves. First half was okay, second half back to normal. Arguing a similar sort of point was Mr B and Andy Kinnear. Mr B thought that trying for a draw was only going to end one way. There was a touch more fight, but not much. Whereas Andy saw small signs of improvement. Young defence did their best and up front looked bright, but still undercooked. Steve Shaw thought it was better, but all a little too late. Hello and welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. Stuart is away this week, but don't panic. I'm here to guide us through an adventure of a lifetime, an hour or so of Crew Alex chat. In this episode, we'll discuss the Crew Alex's 2-0 defeat in Lancashire, some soggy grass, out-of-contract players, our upcoming games, a confusing interview, and a man who has a huge legacy at the club. To do so, though, I'll need a panel. So today I've got with me the one Steve Hatton. Good afternoon, Ross. Good afternoon, Mr. James Tate. Hello, everyone. And the legendary Steve Bennett. Good day to you all. Yeah, good day. Uh, we'll start on Tuesday night. Crew went to the DW Stadium, hoping to ignite their survival bid. But thanks to goals from Callum Lang and James McLean, Wigan Athletic took all three points. Steve Hatton, big question. Were you optimistic that would end our losing streak? Absolutely not. Um, the most to be honest, I think we achieved probably the most I was hoping for, which was a um, kind of a invert, a, a respectable defeat, to be honest. And that was the best I thought we could come away from Wigan with. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if it had been five or six. As it was, it was two. And I suppose we emerged from it with a, with a modicum of pride. And considering where we were at with Accrington on sat the Saturday before, although kind of social media-wise, Artel got panned for his comments about... a. a so, some sort of foundation to build on from the pretty low base we were looking at after those last two games I, I could kind of see where he was coming from really yeah definitely I think um I'm not a betting man but I put put a pound on us to lose 4-0 uh, <laughs> I was just good that it didn't happen I had to leave a little bit early to get a train because the station's miles away and I was hoping that when I left at 2-0 I'd get to the station and I'd read it as 4-0 but it wasn't James you were also there how did you think that first half compares to our recent games um, sadly, I think it was quite a marked improvement, definitely on um, the Accrington game. Um, I was expecting a lot more from Wigan, to be honest. I didn't think they looked anything special in that first half. Um, I thought they were the better team. They kept the ball well, um, did create some chances, um, but I didn't think they looked like world beaters. Um, and from our sort of perspective, how we played, I thought we dealt with them okay. I didn't think um, the defence gave Richards um, adequate protection, which ended up in Richards making some really important, some really good saves. Um, but any time we, we got the ball and sort of looked to move forward, I think we just looked completely toothless, to be honest. I never had any confidence um, in us creating chances or getting any efforts on goal, to be honest. So I think it was an improvement, um, certainly on Accrington, um, certainly on Plymouth, probably, in the second half, certainly. Um, but 
it was still disappointing that we were so toothless when we did have an opportunity to to get forward. Yeah, definitely. We lacked any magic in the final third. Uh, Steve Bennett, front three of Aji, Long and Sambu. Uh, what are your thoughts on those? Um, whew, um, they run around a lot when they get a chance. Um, we, we don't seem to have been very effective. We, we've changed the personnel, but without actually sort of changing the result. Um, interesting what James had said there about sort of looking toothless. And we, we did. Um, and also that, you know, we, we um, looked a bit of an improvement from Accrington, which wouldn't be hard, would it really? But my, my overwhelming thoughts were that we're going to always look like they've got another gear to go into without ever being amazing. And we've said that about most of the teams we played this year. I haven't seen a, a truly outstanding team in the division yet this year, um, which is the sad bit. Um, you know, our team of last year, I think, would have competed with any of them. And I mean, any of them. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, pretty toothless, which which uh, up, up top, which would point to to me to the service as much as the the personnel, to be honest. Um, as I said, they run around a lot, but it's it's playing with scraps, isn't it? it it's not you know, there's no sustained service or pressure to play off and you know if you're getting two three touches a game you're not going to be able to do an awful lot are you i think you've definitely hit on something there i'm just looking at the the top nine now and none of them have really ripped us apart ipswich was close sheffield wednesday was close i didn't go to the sunderland game so i'm not quite sure on that one wickham we lost in the final few minutes mk dons wigan and rotherham didn't beat the batters either steve hatton why did you think that when we're not, we are losing to the top nine, but we're not getting necessarily battered by them. It's it's the lower teams that are cutting us apart easier. And just just to add to your point there, Russell, I think that the best team I've seen was Plymouth. Uh, they they terrified me of their pace. Yeah, I probably agree with that. Yeah, and I know, and I know we we helped them with some goalkeeping howlers, but they looked the best team that I'd seen. Whenever they got the ball, I thought, oh my god, they're they're just going to score. Um, Otherwise, we, we've just lost to teams who are methodical and organised and well-drilled. And I look at Burton, who aren't anything special, but they were fast, they were strong, they were organised, and they knew our weaknesses, and they exploited them. And I think they're the kind of teams... Accrington did the same, and Accrington really were... And the result was obviously the same. To me, Accrington were a carbon copy of Burton. Strong, effective, nothing special, methodical, Everyone knew their jobs and they were all well drilled. And maybe you could argue that we're not well drilled because of the constant chopping and changing of formations and personnel all season. A lot of it has been forced. There's been a lot of injuries, but obviously um, Big Day's been a bit of a tinker man with his systems and personnel throughout. And maybe we haven't quite got that consistency. Yeah, I think I think we're looking at, I was looking at the Wimbledon game. Uh, away and I remember they just tore us apart time after time after time the fact they only scored three was a miracle and they're down in 20th so it's uh, it's been a strange season let's go back to the strikers quickly then Sambu he's got the speed of sound but that end product really does seem to be lacking doesn't it James? Yeah it's not quite happened for him just yet um, he's sort of performing as his record suggests um, but yeah he's shown glimpses as you say he's got Great pace. Um, some of his hold-up play is good. He competes aerially as well, which is useful, um, especially on the left wing. But we haven't really seen that that link up with Owakwe yet properly. 
um, in no consistent form anyway. And yeah, he, he just he's shown in a lot of good touches, but as you say, that that threat um, is just missing. He looked like he's lacking confidence, um, which I can understand. The whole team is, um, but as soon as he gets a goal. I like to think that we'll see a different Sambu. I think he just needs a goal to get off the mark and that'll really help. But yeah, as you say, we're not quite seeing it yet. Sadly, his record suggests we might not see a goal for a while. <laughs> yeah, I'd just jump in on that and sort of jump back to the question you asked me a while ago. I think Ajay, or however you say it, is is the best of the bunch thus far. He looks He looks a decent player. Um, to be honest, and it looks like we've we've got somebody there who who fits our mould um, and our requirements for once. Um, but as, as Ridal said, you know, I think Sambu's um, going to need a little bit more work. I think I'm sure there's a, I think there's a player there, but in that he's not not the worst we've ever seen. But that list is quite long, so <laughs> you know. <laughs> Something that both Sambu and Aji have, have added and the rest of the new signings have added to the team is, is high speed. But I don't feel like we're taking advantage of that. Steve Hatton, our tempo compared to the teams we're playing, it feels so slow at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just it's just so so ponderous. And that the game on Tuesday, it just felt... I mean, they competed, but they competed to try and stop Wigan scoring a hatful. It felt like a, like a training match, like we were just defence against attack. And I don't think we ever did break quickly. Um, and when we lost um, Alibusu, um, a right back, and Johnson came on, we lost any, any thrust from the right back side as well because Travis offensively offers zero, I'm afraid. Um but I think that there's no pace, there's nothing on the break. And when we get the ball, we, we don't turn teams around really quickly. It's just very slow. Every time, uh, we're going to talk about Dave Richards in a minute, but every time he got the ball, you could see Conor Royden and uh, Luke Offer trying to slow him down. And I mean, he's not the not the greatest at distribution anyway, but it feels like if we, if we try to hit teams on the counter, we might get a bit more luck. So we have talked about keepers to death. Dave Richards, though, he put in a good display against Wigan. James, it was really nice to see him pissing off a different fan base for once, wasn't it? You're absolutely right. And it, it was like they'd had an instruction um, to waste a bit of time, you know, to get to half-time at nil-nil. Um, and yeah, he, he was taking his time. Um, but what I did sort of appreciate in, in our play a little bit was the mixing up of going short from goal kicks and going long. Um, it was nice to see that because, you know, we've been caught out so many times this season. Um, it was good to see that we're trying something different. Um, but yeah, he had a really good game, uh, Dave Richards. First half, made some really, really important saves. Again, without any decent protection from the defence for me. Um, but yeah, as you say, he was doing a good job at keeping us nil-nil at half-time. It prompts the question then, and this is for all three of you. Do you stick with Dave in net for the rest of the season, regardless of whatever mistake he's going to make? Is the consistency of having the same keeper better than chopping and changing? We'll start with uh, Steve Bennett. Yeah, good good question. Um, I'm, I'm well um, documented on, on here, particularly with, um, I'm not, a, not the biggest fan of Dave Richards and, 
not really have been. There's a reason he's been um, second choice for six years, really. Um, and to be honest with you, his, his, it's his distribution is the worst bit. It, it happens in geological time. When we talk about, um, you know, a Reardon, you saying there, James, him, him slowing uh, Richards down. I didn't know it was possible without a DeLorean, to be honest. Um, it's um, is going to have to do that, that's that. part of the problem in that Richards will stand there, you know, just pull his socks up all sorts with his ball under his arm while the while the team were playing, get back into their formation and two banks are four, and then we've got to play through it. Um, it, it it's it's a sad thing, really, in that that will Yaskalainen's feet are brilliant, and that's the bit he he re- is really really good at, and why he did really really well in that promotion season and also with with that last season with with the the ball players if you like in front of him because we were able to hit people quicker um sadly the i don't think either of them are good enough at the core goalkeeping um requirements and i think that's been shown up and in answer to your question about whether we persevere with one rather than the other i really really don't know um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, I don't think either of them are of the standard required, and that's you know obviously a well a well driven path, isn't it? On particularly on this podcast and elsewhere. So I don't know what the others' thoughts are. I, th- I think it's quite sad, really, when we consider Richards to have had a good game, mainly because he's not made any catastrophic errors. Um, <laughs> Very true. And- and he's made some saves, which, if I'm honest, I think I'd expect him to make. There was only one, I think, one early one from the free kick, which was a kind of reaction save that I would class as a really impressive save. I think the rest, if the ball goes past him, you're thinking, what are you doing? So to me, he he made the saves he had to make, but he didn't make any errors. And well, I think his stock is so low that we're now going, oh, he's had a good game because he's not made any errors. Um, I'd stick with him because I think he's made less catastrophic errors than Will this year. Not because he's that much better, but I think the errors that Will has made have been horrendous, possibly confidence, almost professional football career ending errors. Yeah, so, I just can I just jump jump mm-hmm. in there as well? And just something that's come to light. My my thoughts are that though, and it may just be me, but when when Richards plays. I get the distinct feeling that the centre halves in front of him aren't comfortable. Cat on hot tin roof stuff. Now, whether that's but whether that's because they're sort of more mates, more similar age to Will or whatever, I don't know. But it, it's always my perception that they look even more like cat on a hot tin roof job um, when when Richards plays. And less so when when Will plays, but then obviously Will's capable of all sorts, isn't he? As we saw, I've never heard <laughs> the phrase "cat on a hot tin roof" before. Have you not? No. Yeah. Does it mean like where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> Will, so Steve, you've just you've just sparked a great idea in my mind. We've been crying out for a holding midfielder the entire season. If Will Jaskalainen is so good with his feet. Do we play him there? He could do no worse, could he? Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Either, either then he's goalkeeping or whoever's played in holding midfield. It's a win-win, <laughs> isn't it? 
It really is. I suppose, though, we should talk about the goals, shouldn't we? Uh, Steve Hatton, do you want to talk us quickly through the first one? Uh, it's McLean, isn't it, who I think crosses it in from the right. I mean, I, I, I've been a bit negative about Travis Johnson earlier, but actually defensively, I thought he did okay when he came on. Um, he didn't do too badly. I think the ball got shifted out um, to that side. And I think Lang, I think Uwakwe should have been um, picking him up, but he just kind of took a few steps off Uwakwe's shoulder and got himself the free header. Nothing Richards could do. Maybe Travis could have closed the cross a bit more, but indicative of the kind of goal we've been conceding all season, really, a free header. You know. I didn't take my glasses to the game, so I had to watch the highlights back to see what actually happened. Um, and it's interesting that it was it was Dan Adji and Tommy Lowry were closing down that side, and Adji gets drawn in. And you can t- see Tommy Lowry shouting at him to stay with um, McLean if McLean was the one who put the cross in. But he doesn't, and he gets sucked in. And then, as you say, Uakwe lost Lang very easily in the box. It, it feels like it's those fine margins that are really letting us down at the moment, doesn't it, James? Yeah, definitely. And after the goal goes in on the highlights, you can see how angry and frustrated Murph is, um, whether that's with the whole team, with Awakwe for sort of letting his man slip over his shoulder. Um, but yeah, it's those really fine margins that are making all the difference. Um, and again, we've been punished, as we seem to have been every game this season, where we might have got away with a few maybe last season, um, but we're just getting punished every week, aren't we? We yeah, had some six yards tend to do that, though, don't they? They do, they do. Uh, James, do you want to talk us through the second? Yeah, I think the, the ball's sort of bounding round on the edge of our box. Um, there's a bit of a, an aerial battle. Everyone's fighting for the ball. I think Awakwe gets his head on it, um, and then it somehow finds its way out to James McLean, who's in absolutely acres on the left wing. Um, again, I'd say... Travis Johnson really should have been closing that down a lot quicker. Um, and again, McLean, we know what he's done, what he does. He does it every week. He's done it for years and drills it um, towards the goal. I think it gets a little deflection. I don't know if it's off Dave or off a player um, and ends up in the back of the net. But again, he's had so much time and space, um, which is the frustrating thing. I think we see Dan Ajay, trotting back a bit obviously knackered I assume but it's those fine margins again yeah I think it's fairly typical of a lot of the goals that we we've conceded particularly this season in that they're all little errors they're all that little bit of late pressing or or not pressing your man so they get to be able to pick the pass or the cross or the ball that they want and then um, they all add up to you know in the end a goal um, and just, you know, having that, those two or three little incidents, you know, five seconds back in the play uh, have, has allowed that to develop and all of a sudden you're one nil down or whatever, or two nil in this case. Um, worth noting that I think it was Stephen Humphreys who lays the ball off to McLean, who came on as a sub for McGuinness. And I think that, that not making excuses, but that showed you what we were up against. I think McGuinness or Humphreys, particularly Humphreys, who I think was at Rochdale last year and absolutely terrorised us. If he was in our squad, he'd be the first name on the team sheet every week, yet they can afford to bring him on as a sub. And he had that little bit of composure in that panicked penalty area just to lay it off and, and set it up perfectly for McLean, really. Yeah, that, that sort of player's done it at this level for years, years and years. You know, Rochdale have 
basically built a team on, or they did build a team around him, as you said, and and he carried them for years. And you know, he's exactly the type of player that that would would have done or do a job for us, but probably out of our price bracket. You know, it's a it's a porter, but five six years younger, isn't it? Um, it's you know the porter that we got originally is probably a similar similar type of type of player and just a pain in the backside and as you said if you know we're going to have got the deep pockets to be able to have that as their third fourth fifth choice striker i think that's quite indicative of the entire top top 10 and something we don't have at all is that squad depth we played ipswich played sheffield wednesday and whoever they can bring on so many good players that would just walk into our team wouldn't they um, particularly in the midfield, then we've got Tommy Lowry, Regan Griffiths and Luke Murphy, who picked up a yellow card. James, uh, would you go for something just like this or would you change it up? Um, I think if Zach Williams is fit again, I'd be tempted to try the five at the back. So Owakwe and Alabusi get the chance to actually play at wing back. Um, I'd like to see that perhaps with... Lowry and Murph, or maybe Lowry and Harper, try that. Um, but yeah, it, it was tricky when the team came out on Tuesday night. I was looking at it, it's, it's okay, we know it's a bit lightweight. Um, I was also thinking when I was watching the game, I'm not quite sure what type of player Regan Griffiths is or wants to be. Um, I don't know if he's box to box, I don't know if he's keeping play ticking over a bit like Westwood. Um, so I was unsure on that point. Um, so I, I'd be tempted if we can, if we've got the players available to do it, I'd try the five at the back because we did have some success in that. Um, I'd try that. Yeah, Regan Griffiths then, he seems to be playing off the striker at times and then next week he's playing as the deepest midfielder. Uh, Steve Hatton, he is a man that's divided opinion of crew fans so far. Where do you stand on Regan Griffiths? A bit like uh, James has just said, I don't, I don't know what he is. Is he, is he a destroyer? Is he going to get goals? Is he box to box? Is he just kind of keeping possession ticking over, like a Wintle or a Westwood, like you just mentioned? I, I don't really know what his identity is as a midfielder. Um, and again, I'm, I'm a bit confused as to how he has leapfrogged Josh Lundstrom who was supposed to be the next big thing, yet he was farmed out on loan and now he's come back and he still can't get a game. Now, and Griffiths himself was fobbed off on loan to Notts County last year, I seem to remember. Um, and now he's starting ahead of, you know, we signed this lad alone from Ipswich and Griffiths is starting ahead of him. And I'm just a bit confused about what he offers as a player, to be honest. Yeah, I... I... Just wonder if Regan Griffiths is the answer. What the hell is the question? To be honest, I, I don't see what he does, what he is. As as the others have said, he, he's not. You know, he's not Tom Lowry. He's not Luke Murphy. He's not Ryan Wintle. He's not uh, Charlie Kirk. Is he? I I I, I can't. I can't grasp. I, I don't get his role and what, what his sort of skill set is to get him in above, you know, the players that you just mentioned there, Steve. Um, it, it, it's an odd one. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, it wouldn't be the first that we've, we've all wondered, well, why are they in the side? Why are they in the side? And then three months later, they're, they're world beaters. But 
I don't know. I can't see it with that one. And he's certainly not got size on his on his on his side, has he? Either he's you know, he's my my 13-year-old's probably the similar size to him, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. As I said, I, I'll refer you to my initial comment of if he's the answer, I'm not sure what the question is. Yeah, I'm I'm worried that he's going to become a jack of all trades, master of none type midfielder, where he's going to sort of a bit like Ainley, but a bit different, where he's going to be thrown around the midfield in a stopgap when we need a player. I think it'd be good because I th- I do think there is a quality player in there. We just need to uh, to bleed it out of him. Um, right. I think you've got to give credit for doing the interview uh, after whichever game we lost badly. I think you know you want an experienced leader to come out and do the interview then, but we got Ben Griffith, so you've got to give him credit for that. What are we going to say, Steve? Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. Maybe maybe you, you'd look a different player in a, in the team that was on top. Um, we we are forgetting, and we we're giving Travis a bit of a bit of needle and and also one or two of the other younger ones um in that you've got to remember that they're being dropped into basically a war zone aren't they it, it's all going wrong it's it's not a settled side it's you know i'm going through my metaphors now but man the lifeboats isn't it really it, it's 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 not an easy situation for a young player to come into you know, if you're getting dropped in one or two players into a side that's winning 50, 60% of the games and, you know, on the verge of the playoffs or whatever, that the, the tails are up and um, it's a very, very different um, environment in which to go into. And, and it, it might, that might be part of it. I don't know, but um, I'm sure time will tell, won't it? It's a bit like when um, Charlie Kirk and Ainley first came into the team under Davis and obviously we were getting battered every week and they really struggled. Um, obviously, we know what they've gone on to. So, yeah, as you say, could be the same situation. Yeah, I definitely agree with what James just said then. It's sort of sink or swim, but those players James mentioned sort of paddled a little bit until Artel came in and changed the water in the pool and then they swam. Um, should we move on from Wigan now? Uh, we'll talk about Saturday. That big storm was tearing through the nation. But I was on a train coming uh, down from Liverpool. It was bright sunshine, not a cloud in the sky. It was like paradise. Meanwhile, in South Cheshire, referee Martin Coy, whose name always makes me think of McCoy's crisps every time I read it. Um, he was making a decision to postpone Crew versus Portsmouth due to a waterlogged pitch. The higher power did not want to play. To be fair, it had been a rainy day. Steve Bennett, you'd got to the ground before the decision was made. So I feel you're in a good position to offer your opinion. Would you yeah, have postponed it? No, certainly not at that stage. Um, it's a it's a modern, well-drained sporting um, facility. Um, it was back to be fair at quarter to two, and then at two at two o'clock, we actually sat in the car in the car park, thinking, "I'm not getting out in this because we know what that there's a, a pitch inspection going on." And it was bouncing down. It was absolutely bouncing down. But then by 10 past two, it had stopped completely. Um, it was sunny. And I would have thought by half two, 20 to three, that that pitch will have looked absolutely fine and perfectly playable. It's a, it's a very, very strange decision when both the teams want to play. You know, that you've got pubs full of, 
people and you know people outside the ground wanting to get in it just seemed to be a rather um odd decision that for 10 15 20 minutes could have saved an awful lot of bother and it, it's not like it was final day of the season where somebody wanted to know a result elsewhere 10 15 20 minutes later on the on the kickoff time would have would have not made any difference at all to the material outcome would it no, definitely not. Um, I think Kev Orbiton's part of the pictures of the pitch at 3pm and it looks as dry as a storm didn't happen. When it got announced that it was cancelled, we all looked at the clocks thinking it was a late call to make. And it's definitely not fair on the travelling fans, both home and away. Awful. Uh, to do it so late, it, it's just not fair, is it, Steve Hearn? No, and I, I know that the rationale behind the referee's decision is always the safety of the players. But ultimately, you've got 1,500 Portsmouth fans who've travelled the length of the country who'd clearly be there already. And for the sake of saying, OK, let's give it an extra half hour and maybe kick off at 3.30 would have been a common sense decision. Look at the weather forecast, listen to the groundsman who's going to say, look, it'll drain away and just hang fire a little bit. Um, and, and I get that the thinking is the safety of the players. But what about the safety of all the people running the pubs on Nantwich Road who had a... Uh, 1500 Portsmouth fans for a few hours Saturday afternoon I'm sure that wasn't much fun for them or maybe it was actually because they probably made loads of profit <laughs> they were buzzing <laughs> <laughs> I think it really does open up a wider question though uh, we are a club that is meant to pride itself on playing beautiful passing football uh, our training facilities are top notch but the pitch really lets it down as soon as winter hits then a good chunk of the grass resembles a cabbage patch James do you think it's it's a big problem and something the club really needs to sort out is, is that half of the pitch. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, we know there's been a change of groundsmen recently. Um, I don't think it's been a particularly bad year in terms of weather. Um, the pitch has seems to have been in a poor condition a lot sooner than it has been in previous years. Usually this time of year, we know it's quite poor on that main stand side, but it never seems to come as early as it has this time round. I think the pitch looks really short as well. I don't know if that's just me or um, other people have noticed that. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's sort of um, a bit against our ideology of perfect passing football. Um, and it's certainly not going to help us, is it? Um, so that, that near side of the pitch under the main stand, something we really need to concentrate on. Um, maybe the policing crew can help source some nice lamps for us. Um, I'm sure there's some available in the area. <laughs> that's a, that's, that is exactly the next question I've got written down. Why don't we use these nice particular lamps anymore? Because I, I swear we did, didn't we, for a few seasons, and the pitch was gorgeous. Yeah, it's cost, isn't it? They they eat electricity, and so it will be a cost element, won't it, to it? But I, I share the, your the other guy's points there that it, it's it's kind of fundamental to the game that we play. Having a carpet makes all would would or does make all the difference to to us because we're a football inside. You know, it, it doesn't make a lot of difference to I don't know Gillingham. The, the ball doesn't see the grass very often, does it? So, um, 
And um, I think they'll get away with that. I don't think there'll be many Gillingham fans listening. Um, but it's can't, they true. can't disagree, to be fair. No, no, it's true, isn't it? And, and you know, and it, it, it does, it does um, um, confuse me a little that that it's something so fundamental to what what we do and the way that we play football is kind of allowed to happen. I know that I know I know Pete Cope very very well, and you know I've, I've known him all my life. And having chatted to him off the record, you know, it, it, the stand is is a massive, massive problem. But whatever Copey did, he, he managed to um, to manage it, if you like. And and I, you know, I'm big him up here, and he'll he'll be laughing if he listens back to this. That um, you know that that um, name your prize, Pete. You know, <laughs> chip in, name your prize, come and get me. Yeah, um, please, as it were. But uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's a problem, and it's a strange one that that I think isn't necessarily as easy to answer as as, as armchair folks can can surmise. But um, Kopi seemed to manage it the best, didn't they? So yeah, it feels like we're shooting ourselves in the foot before we even get started. It's like we've got Tommy Lowry, this glorious player, playing in a sandpit. It's like you wouldn't take your Rolls Royce to the Sahara Desert, would you? Anyway, um, I'm sure that the travelling fans had an amazing day in the pub with Alex Arani. (laughs) 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 Before we move on to previewing our upcoming games, I want to play a little game of our own. I don't know if this title is already taken, but the game is called Deal or No Deal. I've got a list. No, neither. Neither. I've got a list of players who are out of contract at the end of the season and I want to know if you guys will be offering them a new deal or not. We'll start with our favourite subject, goalkeepers. Will Jaskalainen, Steve Hatton, deal or no deal? No deal. Not even as a holding midfielder? No, I mean he's got the right height for a holding midfielder because obviously we normally have midgets playing in midfield but uh, no deal for me I'm afraid. James, Dave Richards, deal or no deal? No deal from me. I want a fresh start in the goalkeeping department from top to bottom, please. Steve Bennett, my thoughts on Dave Richards. We've all seen the rumours. He signed a three-year deal, apparently. Allegedly, I must say. I, If he is the number two, strictly, come dancing, then I think that's all right if we're getting a, a number one in as well. What do you think? Yeah, and, and that's with the, that's with a, some reservation. Um I'm kind of with the other two, really, in that the whole top to bottom goalkeeping department needs a revamp, a change. Um, Richards is is probably okay as a number two, and indeed he is, but that's on the proviso that he is a number two and he's he might play in the Pizza Cup. Um, and by all accounts, he's a, he's a great guy. Everybody loves him and stuff, but that doesn't get your points, does it? I think if it's the difference between getting an experienced centre-back in but then having to keep Dave Richards as your number two, I'd, I'd bite your hand off for that. Yeah, yeah, well, I think I think we're there. Yeah, I think we... Yeah, difficult to argue with that. Young right-back Travis Johnson, Steve Bennett, deal or no deal? Deal. I, I, I refer you to the reply I gave a few moments ago without wanting to sound like a politician that it's difficult getting dropped into a war zone and um, I've seen enough that there is a player under there. So yeah, deal. 
Luke Murphy, Steve Hatton, deal or no deal? If we get relegated, which we are going to, um, I'd say deal. If we have an absolute miracle and stay up, which we're not going to, no deal, because I think he would do a job in League Two for a year, and maybe offer him a year's extension, um, but that would be it. I think he's I think he's worthy of, a, of a, a, a starting position in League Two, but probably not in League One. I think that's fair. I I think he's been one of our worst players this season. Maybe I think some that, days he's really yeah, good. Yeah, because there's an expectation there, isn't there? And I, I think yeah, yeah. I wouldn't disagree with that. That he, I don't think he's been he's filled, you know, fulfilled his 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 role quite as well as he possibly could. Yeah, definitely. James, I'm going to give you the easiest one. Tommy Lowry, deal or no deal? Um, I'd love to say deal, but it's not happening, is it? Um, we'll, we'll try again, I don't know. But he's going to be on his way, isn't he? Um, which is a shame, and we're not going to get anywhere near that quality on our budget. So it is what it is. I'll give you a hard one now. Scott Kashkett, deal or no deal? Kashkett is... I mean, yeah, where is he? But um, no deal for me. I'm looking at the forward options we're going to have next season that are locked in. Ajay, Sambu, um, Chris Long, Salisbury. I don't know if there's room for Kashkut there. I don't think there is. Um, I think there's room for a target man, whether that's Porter on a one-year deal in League Two or we try to tempt Mandron to stay with us for another year in League Two. I don't know, but I just think there's room for a target man and that's it. Well, you've sort of spoiled the rest of the game. Um, <laughs> Steve Bennett, Mika Mandron, deal or no deal? Yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah, deal on, on Mandron. There's, there's a player there, isn't there? I don't know. I think his brains are his biggest problem, aren't they? Or rather his, his um, yeah, attitude. But um, yeah, he'd tear people a new one, wouldn't he, in League Two, you'd expect, really. So yeah, that would, he would be deal for me. Yeah, I feel like he, if he could. Yeah, I think if we're going down, I, I don't think he'll sign a new contract. No. I think he'll have no. he'll definitely have options in League One, and he'll stay there. I see Chris, uh, Chris Porter then Steve Hatton. Big question: deal or no deal? Breaks my heart to say this because uh, he's got his detractors, but I think he's a fantastic pro. He's done an amazing job for us, despite the criticism he gets. Um, he's he's worked off scraps this season and he's been probably used far more than he expected. But 38, 39, I think it's time to say thanks, Chris, but no deal. Do you agree with that, boys? <laughs> I, I really, I, I don't know is the answer to that. I, I'm, I absolutely stand by everything Steve said there, apart from the very last bit, because I really, really don't know. Um is he worth having just for that experience and just having that occasional sub appearance and just to be around the squad in the same way that um, Nicky Hunt was um, and and the like? Um, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those, isn't it? You know, I, I, I might I might do do a deal right at the end. You know, if, if I've got no boxes left to open, I might. But I don't know. It, it would be, it would be. Um, we, we're devising a format here slowly between us. Um, it would, yeah. There's there's pluses and minuses, isn't there, on that one? Um, I'm I'm a massive fan of the guy. Um, 
you couldn't have asked for any more from the from the guy, and he must be creaking, mustn't he? he must you know he he must have thought he'll play five, eight, ten games this year, and he's been you know pretty much first choice, isn't he, most of the yeah. season? So I think I'd offer him a one year deal on the bravado that he is doing a con uh, doing his coaching badges, and he he wants to stay and do striker coaching in the future. I think that'd be a good move. We'll move on then to previewing our upcoming games. Uh, we have Oxford at home on Tuesday. They currently sit fourth in the league, having battered Charlton away at the weekend. Lads, this seems like an easy easy three points, right? I was looking at um, their results and they they lost at Accrington, um, but they obviously had that spanking will at Gillingham. They had that massive win at Charlton. They, they score goals all over the place and they do particularly well away from home. So um, in the Danajai derby, um, I'm feeling a bit nervous about our prospects here because I think they might absolutely run riot, particularly if we play that midfield three that we're apparently going to play at the weekend. If we play them against Kane and Brannigan, they will have an absolute field day against that potential three we're going to use at the weekend. Yes. James, last year we lost this game 6-0. Can we go on better and concede seven? <laughs> I think it's a genuine possibility, sadly. Um, as Steve said, I think yesterday's win for Oxford makes them the highest scorers in the league. Um, they're flying. Well, the results are a little inconsistent, but they're flying goals-wise. Um, they're right on the edge of the automatics. Um, they're, they're full of confidence. So I think it's a genuine possibility that we could be around that five or six mark, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Steve Hatton, you are the self-professed Carl Robinson expert. What can we expect from him in this game? I would love him to fall flat on his arse on that slippy side of the pitch, right in front of the main stand and make an absolute humiliation of himself. Unfortunately, I can't see that happening. I think he'll, he'll play the pantomime villain and at the end, after they've um, stonked us sort of 4-5-0, or he'll probably cup his ear to the fans and antagonise people even more. I didn't know you had a, a crystal ball and just see straight to the future. So that is definitely going to happen. Absolutely. I seem to remember he came over and applauded us very sarcastically at the away game when they beat us 1-0. Um, so there, there's going to be some sort of interaction from him to the fans, I'm sure. Tosser. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Steve Bennett, then, uh, how optimistic are you going into this game? Do you share the rest of us feeling, the rest of our feelings that we're going to lose? The short answer is not particularly optimistic. Um, do I have to think about it? Um, I, I just I just can't see us getting anything from it. You know, the, we, we can't even hide behind the fact that we say, oh, well, they'll come and they'll beat us up. They're, they're a football inside with the ball on the ground and they're I've got a horrible feeling they're going to pick us off and tear us apart. Um, I, I, I'd love to love to think there's a shock, potential almost giant killer um, thing in as a possibility, but I'm, I'm not even convinced of that, to be honest. I just don't see it. Um, I think they they're they're a good side and I'd argue one of the better ones in the division to be honest um, and unfortunately I've got a horrible feeling that Mr Robinson is going to have that bloody smug grin on his face 
I hate Tim's smug grin as well. Uh, we do have a view from the opposition. Uh, Stuart has spoke to Oxford fan Joe. Hi, Joe. Welcome back to the pod. Yeah, good to be back, mate. Good to be back. So, Joe, we'll start with the previous Oxford crew game back in August. It was a 1-0 win for Oxford with a penalty. If I'm honest, this season has been one defeat after another. Um, so I had to go back and look this one up. What, what do you remember about the game and what was the Oxford perspective? Well, <laughs> I think if I'm honest, I'm racking my brains as well to remember that one. But I think I think that was a, a sort of early early season kind of victory where I don't think we played particularly well and sort of scraped to win. I, I, I seem to remember coming away from that game feeling not as positive as you would perhaps like to be after a home win, feeling as if the performance was slightly flat, but we, we sort of got away with it a little bit. Um, if I'm honest, I don't remember who scored. <laughs> I don't remember. I think Billy Bowden might have, st- I think that might, might have been Billy Bowden's debut. I think that was my overriding memory of uh, of that particular match. But yeah, was sort of a, a fairly flat performance, but uh, we, we sort of ground out a 1-0 win. It's kind of what I remember from it. When I went back and had a look, uh, I noticed it was a player who's now no longer an Oxford player who'd put the cross in that caused the penalty to be given, Dan Aggie. Uh, he's since signed for the Alex. What was the Oxford fans' reaction to that um, transfer? Um, if I'm honest, uh, there were a lot of Oxford fans who were happy to see him go. Um, I'm actually not really one of... Well, my view on Dan Adji was... Uh, I think, actually, I probably was happy to see him go, mainly because I feel that he needed to go for a fresh start because he'd been at the club uh, two two years um, and had never really got going, never been given an opportunity. I, f- I feel like there's a player in there, and I've always maintained that there is a player in there. Um, if you play him through the middle in his proper position and you give him a chance, and you put an arm around his shoulder, I think he could do something, whether that be League One, the League Two, I think there's a player in there. Um, the, 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 the problem with him here is he was never really given those chances from the start. Carl Robinson, I think, saw him as nothing really more than a bit part player, and he was never really given the platform to be much more than that. Um, we didn't really invest much time uh, into his development, and we got him in as, a, I think, what a 22-year-old, I think we signed him as, who's just come out of the the twenty three system at Burnley, you've got to try and nurture and develop these players. And we never really invested that time into Dan Adji, in my in my opinion. But even so, he still popped up with some really important moments for us. Uh, a goal at Swindon, uh, a big goal uh, at Shrewsbury, which helped us into the playoffs. So even though he was never really given the opportunities um, or a chance to for a consistent run in the team, I think like he played like 80 games or 70 games, like 65 of them off the bench. I mean, he was a very much a bit part player. But even so, he still came up with some good moments. And I felt he showed every now and then flashes of what he could be. Um, but he needed a fresh start. And I was quite pleased that he got a, a move to League One. Um, I really hope that it, it works out for him. I've got no ill feeling. A lot of Oxford fans kind of scapegoated him a little bit, which is kind of why I felt the need to defend him, because I, I always feel like he wasn't really given a proper chance. But um, yeah, he needed to move on at that particular time. Uh, and we got a small fee for him as well, which I think was a bonus because he's out of contract at the end of the season. Fingers crossed that that player that you think is there is able to develop at the Alex. Joe, let's move on to more recent results then. Yesterday, Saturday, away at Charlton and a pretty decent 4-0 win. 
Yeah, I mean, it's you just don't really know what you're going to get from Oxford at this at this present moment because the last two defeats have been pretty demoralising. Um, a really poor defeat to Accrington and then uh, another loss to Bolton at home, where sort of goals have been uh, conceding goals has been a real issue for us over the last few weeks. I think before the Charlton game, it was like one clean sheet in fourteen. It was, you know, we're conceding goals for absolute fun, way too open at the back, and then we pop up with what on paper looks, even though Charlton have kind of struggled this season looks like a quite a tough tricky away match at the valley ends up in a with a clean sheet and uh and four amazing goals and a really great win so i mean i was, I was as excited with the clean sheet as the four goals to be honest because as i say conceding has been the issue i think going forward we've looked pretty good as i say we scored two against bolton um we were on the right end of a, of a couple of high scoring games against sheffield wednesday and portsmouth we won three two in those games but of course still let in a couple so to get a clean sheet and look a lot more defensively kind of solid, a bit more defensive structure to us was promising. We switched formation in that game to a 3-5-2, which I think really worked for us. So, yeah, I mean, a, 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 a great away performance, uh, a really important three points. Um, of course, losing two games in a row, you need to put that right quickly before it uh, a blip turns into a rut. But, yeah, I think a, a great performance and uh, everybody there was very, very pleased with, with the win. One of those goal scorers then on Saturday was Cameron Brannigan. And Joe, I seem to hear his name every single week mentioned. If he's not scoring four penalties in one game, he's doing something else. How good is he and how key is he for Oxford? Well, I, I, I put out a tweet yesterday saying, you know, I think yesterday was kind of a classic kind of vintage Cameron Brannigan, really. And I think when he's in that kind of mood, he's on that kind of form, there's... I don't think there's a better player in this division, to be honest. Now, obviously, coming from that from a biased perspective, but honestly, just he is just unbelievable. Um, and he's the difference this season to last season is he's scoring a lot more goals as well. He scored another great goal, fantastic goal um, yesterday. And um, I mean, he's just a he's just a hell of a player, um, a Rolls Royce of a midfielder, to use a, a bit of a cliche. Um, he is he is something special, and uh, we've done well to keep hold of him this long. To be honest, um, we've batted off a lot of interest from um, you know high league clubs. Blackpool came in from in the summer and in January, and we managed to keep hold of him. So, you know, he's going to be if we're going to if we're going to get anywhere near promotion this season, he's going to be absolutely vital for us. Do you expect this to be his last year at Oxford if the promotion doesn't happen? I would certainly imagine so. I think he he is a player that's quite unique in the sense that he I think he really loves playing for this club. Um, a lot of we've sold a lot of players in recent years who I think don't get me wrong have enjoyed playing for Oxford, but have seen it more as a springboard, a platform to bigger things. Whereas I think Cameron Brannigan genuinely does feel very settled here and loves playing here. That said, he is an ambitious player, and I don't think he would really fancy another season in League One where really he should be playing higher. Um, and I don't think there'd be any short of interest either. So if we're not to be promoted, then I would imagine he'd leave. I think this is the last year of his contract next year as well. So I'd imagine so, but you never you, you never know. He does seem to like playing for Oxford. Um, how far that loyalty stretches, though, I, I, I can't imagine him wanting to play in League One again next season. How realistic is it then that he might stay and you will be in the championship next year? Uh, fourth in the table after Saturday's result, um, playoff semi-final last year. Can you go one further this year? Um, well, that's, of course, the hope. I think it's a very significantly better division this year than it was last season in terms of the quality of the sides up there. Um, it's very tightly congested. Uh, a bad run can take you from automatic promotion contenders to 
out of the playoff picture, as I think Sunderland are sort of finding out at the moment. So it's it's quite difficult to say. We've got good players, uh, very good players. Um, my concern would be um, the balance of the squad. Um, still, our defensive frailties, um, conceding goals would be my concern. If we're able to build on yesterday's result um, and keep more clean sheets and certainly look a little bit more um, structured defensively, then I think we've got a chance because we've got some very, very good players going forward. Um, that would be my one area of concern. But, I mean, hopefully, I say two, two, two seasons in the playoffs, I'd love to go one better. Uh, right now, it's, it's tough to say, um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay, Joe, I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'm going to let you go. What's the score going to be Tuesday night at Gresty Road? I mean, midweek games at bottom of the league terrify me. Um, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, uh, you know, I, it's, it's a tough one. I, I think we should win and I would, I think most Oxford fans would come in expecting to win. Um, but again, the fact that you've also got an ex-Oxford player who's sold in January lining up against us as well is also equally terrifying. So, I, I can't imagine us keeping another clean sheet, to be honest, given our defensive record. So I imagine we'll concede, but I think we will come out with a win. I'll go, I'll go 3-1 to Oxford. Okay, Joe, thank you for your time. No problem. On Saturday, the Alex take on Cheltenham Town away. With no Donovan Daniels here to assist their strikers this time. Steve Bennett, how important is this game for our survival bid? Is it quite literally now or never? Yes, is the short answer. I, I, although I think we we might be careering towards that um, that cliff top um, at a rate, and I'm not sure there's any brake pads on the on the van. But um, yeah, it, it is, isn't it? Though I think you know, realistically, I think we're probably. We all know where we are, and and I think we're past any any um, sort of Hollywood endings, aren't we? But um, yeah, it's it's massive. It's massive on so many levels. They're they're a side that we should be at least competing with, and I'd argue we we should be better than. And um, but you know who knows that they're, they're reasonably well drilled, aren't they? But they're no world beaters, are they? No, they drew 5-5 away at Wickham at the weekend, coming back from 5-3 uh, down deep in the second half. They're clearly showing that desire and belief that we're simply not. James, are you going to go? Um, I'm tempted, but... Why? <laughs> That's the all-important question for us. Why did we go to Wigan? Who knows? Um, yeah, I think it's make or break as well. Um, like you say, they're well-drilled. They're riding that first season in League One wave, which we did last season. They're doing fairly well. They're all but safe. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we can catch them unawares, but they're well drilled. They're resilient. As we may bagged three or four or whatever it was, um, they're going to be full of confidence. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we've got another opposition view here. Stu has spoken to Mark, who is a BBC Radio Gloucestershire commentator. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. Now, just in case anyone doesn't know, you are one of the BBC Radio Gloucester commentators for Cheltenham Games. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. Yeah. I've been doing that for about more than a decade now. So, uh, yeah, plenty of time going up and down the country. Looking forward to seeing my good friend, Mr. Graham McGarry, on Saturday. Fair enough. Um, 
Now we'll start then with your trip up to Crew on the opening day mm-hmm. of the season. Um, the feeling here then was that that was a poor result. Uh, that might have changed now. What was the thought process at full time uh, for yourself and the other Cheltenham faithful first game back in League One? I think the feeling then that it was a that it wasn't a bad result, that it was a decent start to the season because we didn't really know what we what we were going to expect. Uh, back in League One, first time in League One for for a long time for the club, and uh, I think they thought, yeah, that's a nice little foundation to uh, to build on. But having looked at the way the seasons panned out, uh, maybe it wasn't such a such a good result, and maybe we felt that we that we that we should have actually actually won the game. But I think to start with, it was it was a point on the board, and it was it was something to build on for the. Uh, for the remainder of the season. First games of the season are always difficult to gauge really and it does take a while to sort of work out whether that was a whether that was a decent result or not. But I think from a Cheltenham point of view on the day, I think people thought, yeah, one or we'll take that and we'll move on and, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be quite happy with that. So if we move along then to from August to yesterday, Saturday, um, have you recovered from the 5-5 draw away at Wickham yet? No. Is the answer not quite? It was it was absolutely insane. I mean, I wasn't actually commentating yesterday because I took my kids with me because it was my daughter's birthday and uh, she wanted to go to a an away game because she'd never been to an away game before. And uh, I've now had to tell her that it's not always like that. And uh, yeah, the three of us. Oh, it was just absolutely unbelievable. The, the atmosphere in the away end was brilliant. The noise was fantastic and. To it was just a complete roller coaster because we had a, we had a six five at Burton back in 2011 and uh, we really thought that we were going to have another one because it was just when it got to five all we thought oh my goodness and we had two unbelievable chances to actually win the game after it went to five all that of course they haven't shown on the uh, on the TV David Stockdale the Wickham keeper made two unbelievable saves and it was just brilliant I mean. Defending was abysmal from us, to be honest. Defending from both teams wasn't great, but some of the finishes were brilliant. Alfie May, his his hat trick goal is probably one of the best goals you'll ever see. It was just basically a long ball over the top and the control, and then the finish to lob the goalkeeper was just outstanding. And uh, yeah, he he's uh, he's a man in form at the moment. Is is our Alfie, and uh, hopefully it'll carry on for the next uh, for the next fourteen games. Well, you've just mentioned the fact that he's in form. He's got four in yesterday's game yeah. against Wickham, eight in the last four, I believe. Yeah, is he the great. one that crew need to stop? Is there anyone else we should yeah. be looking out for? Well, there's a pair of them, really. Keon Tete up front. He's on loan from Spurs. He scored his first goal yesterday, and he's been really good, uh, and doing a lot of good to have got that to have got that first goal. He's He's come in and because Michael Duff made a couple of loan signings. He signed a lad called Dan and Lundulu from Southampton, who was at Lincoln earlier in the season. And he he started really well, but then he's done his hamstring in. So we might not see him again, which is a shame. And then Keon Atete's come in and uh, he's a real handful. He's six foot five. He's not that brilliant in the air, but on the floor and holding it up. And he's a real target to sort of... He, the ball sort of sticks to him really well. He, he holds the ball up well. And uh, him and May have, have, have well, as, as the results have shown, have really worked together well over the last few games. So hopefully that'll 
carry on and uh, I say it'll do him it'll do a Tete the world of good to have got his to have got his first goal and but Alfie May's just he's just really hit a really good purple patch of form at the moment he's got 15 now in the league which is no Cheltenham players ever scored that many in a league one season uh, Saturday that's the first time a Cheltenham player scored four in a league game so he's going to be full of confidence I mean we go to Ipswich on Tuesday and then we come then we have the crew game on Saturday so uh, he's going to be he's, he's in a rich vein of form he's closing in on the all-time Cheltenham record for football league goals he's only he needs another 10 and uh, the way he's going he might get them for the end of the season <laughs> I mean a, a visit from crew that's only going to help I think this season to be honest with you <laughs> Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, I say I, I like Crew a lot because of because uh, of my mate Graham, and uh, he's such a you know. And it, it, it's it, it's a, it's a shame to see them uh, see them struggling like they are. Because of course we've had a couple of you know, Luke Varney played for played for us and did so well for you. Billy Waters as well uh, played for played for us and for you. And uh, yeah, it's always a, I always like going to Crew, like going to Gresty Road and. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good club, and uh, I, I really hope you can dig yourselves out of it. But uh, I have to be honest and say it doesn't look very hopeful. No. Um, so Cheltenham, then um, they are fifteenth at the mm. moment, thirty-two games played, ten points away from the relegation zone. Are you looking down over your shoulders, or are you looking up as a club? Um. The a lot of the supporters will be looking over their shoulders still, but I think Michael and Michael's always said he's, he keeps telling the players to look up, and that's that's the way he wants it to be. But uh, fifty points has to be the benchmark, so I think we still need another ten to be absolutely sure. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm a bit of a nerd statistically, and I actually looked up the the average points for the team finishing twentieth over the last. 10 seasons because that's the sort of sad I am and uh, it's 49.8 so <laughs> there you go so 50 I'm points is where, yeah yeah 50 points is where we want to get to that's what Michael Duff's always said but if I had a target for the season I'd be looking at 60 that's where I'd want I'd be looking to get to if we can get to 60 that would be great the club's never finished higher than 17th in league one so if we can finish higher than 17th then it's the best season the club's ever had and uh and it would really give us something to um, to try and build on to because uh, if we can, we've never really established ourselves as a League One club. It's it, we've been in the seat. We we went up in two thousand and two, went straight back down again. We came up again in two thousand and six, spent three seasons, went down again, and that's it. So this is only ever our fifth season at this level. So hopefully we, and the hope is that we can try and you know establish ourselves a little bit more. At, at this level and uh, a good season if we can get to 60 points and, and get our best ever finish uh, 17th or higher then that would really uh, then that would really top it off and really give us something to go for Okay Mark thank you so much for your time I'm going to ask you one final question and then I'm going to let you go yeah. what's the score going to be on Saturday? Well I'm sorry but I'm going to have to predict a Cheltenham win and I'm going to say I'm going to go for 3-1 and uh, I'm going to say that Alfie's probably going to get another one or two, the way he's uh, the way he's going at the moment. And uh, I think uh, 
I think we may, I'm afraid, uh, put another nail in your uh, in your coffin. I'm afraid, and uh, and uh, beat you by three goals to one. Mark, thank you for your time. Okay, let's do our prediction goal game minute thing. Uh, this is the hardest part now. We'll start with Steve Hatton and the Oxford game. 20 minutes. 20, bang on. Oof. Uh, James? Six minutes. Oh, that's optimistic. Uh, Steve Bennett? 17, one seven. Very nice. Uh, I'm quite low down in this, in this table now, so I'm going to have a go too. Uh, we never change, do we? So I'll go. Uh, I'll go a bit later than you guys. Thirty second minute. Uh, I think alarmingly, um, um, the Crowalix of this division. I think, or <laughs> 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 certainly very, very close to it. Well, you've got no hope then. Uh, we'll go uh, in the opposite order for chart number eight. Steve Bennett, twenty seven. James, twenty nine. Uh, Steve Hatton, thirty one. Very nice. I, I'm gonna think we're gonna we're gonna hold it off a bit longer than Wigan, and we're gonna concede in the 72nd minute. I love how now we are all just assuming that it's never gonna be crew that's gonna score <laughs> the first goal. Yeah, no, it never is. Though that's the thing. Something that we've mentioned a lot on the podcast is the silence from the board since this season began to shiver. We've been desperate to hear them talk, but now this week we've had a message from the chairman Charles Grant. Have we all heard the interview on the radio? I'm getting nods. Uh, when it came to backing Artel in the managerial position, Steve Bennett, it was a strange stance that he took, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just a just a very, very odd and, dare I say, bland interview. The, there were words that I recognised. Um, I recognised every word that he said, but not necessarily in, in, the, in the correct order to misquote Malcolm and Wise. He didn't actually tell us anything at all, I didn't think. He neither, neither backed nor sacked, if you like. There was, it was just a, a bland, bland interview. And I, I just wonder whether um, recent pods on here and also I, I, I was on um, Radio Stoke on Tuesday night before the game, basically reiterating what the pod had said in the last couple of weeks. Um, and I just wondered whether um, whether that had, had kind of prompted some sort of rushed reply or, or a feeling of a need to get something out, even though that something was effectively nothing. Um, I, I, I just found it a bit, a bit bland and a bit um, for the sake of it. To be honest, I don't know what the other thoughts are. I completely agree. Um, very politician-esque, wasn't it? Um, a bit like his aide had said, look, they want to hear from you. Here's a script. Don't deviate too much from that. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it gave the fans really anything or what they wanted. Um, just some confidence or confirmation of an approach or a bit more personality is, I think is what we needed um, and I don't think we got that. Can I just jump back in? I think I think the disappointing thing, I'm, I'm not here to bash our talent, I'm not here to, you know, say anything to the contrary really, but I think from, from our point of view as a fan base, you know, we've had that little from the club 
that it would have been, you know, a reasonable expectation for us to have some sort of guidance or some sort of answer and just say, look, he's here for he's here till Christmas at least, or he's here till the summer at least. Get over it. And that would have been fine. That would have been fine. We'd have, there'd have been the usual people moaning on, on social media, but we'd have got on with it and we understand and we know where where the where the land lies. But to effectively skirt around it and not not answer and not make any any statement of anything, I thought was was a bit poor, to be honest. And um we we we're almost there's even more questions than than there were before, oddly. Yeah, I think reading between the lines of what he said, he essentially said Dave got a fight on his hands, which to me says you've got till the end of the season. So just say, say that. it then, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I did think it was quite telling the lack of any kind of uh any sort of definitive comment. Thinking back to the previous board, um we would have had a, a definitive yes, we're going to back him at some point there. But the fact that they didn't say yay or nay to me was was quite interesting. And I think there's something you can look into there. There wasn't, say, that the lack of a definite answer. If I think back and we'd had the previous board on there, then they would have probably said, yeah, we're going to support him. Um, I think the fact that they weren't drawn on that was quite interesting. Yeah, does, does that mean there is differences of opinion or, or not, you know? Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know anything more than, you know, anybody else, but you, you'd wonder whether that was maybe, maybe part of the, part of the, um, the answer, if you like, but it's, um, it was, as I said, it, it was, it was almost so bland. It, it, it was hardly worth doing really. Um, it didn't, we didn't learn anything, did we? No, I think the points on recruitment as well, um, sort of confirm that obviously it's Dave's responsibility, his call at the end of the day, but sort of confirm to me that Dave's got too much on himself and he needs help. Um, if he had a recruitment specialist or scouts, I think Grant would have or should have mentioned that. Um, so, yeah, that just confirmed that for me. Yeah, he, he instantly digs out the previous two transfer windows, not including the recent January one, which he clearly holds Artel totally accountable for. It's clear that that Dave's an army of one when it comes to recruitment. Now, we know that they've hardly been a sky full of stars, but and they have put us in this awful situation. But is is that all Artel's fault, James? Or do you, do you think he should have a team around him? Um, I think he should have a team around him. He should have... I don't know whether you need a recruitment specialist, but you definitely need a network of scouts or obviously a team that does all the um, sort of remote online analysis, you need an analysis team. But at the end of the day, yes, it's Dave's call, but I don't think he's got adequate support at the moment. I think when you sign like a Magic Gomez on, I think it was an 18-month contract, and then I'm up, what, three months down the line, He's never anywhere near the team and we're trying to offload him. You've, you've got to ask questions about actually who made the decision that he'd be um, recruitable, who made that decision. Because that is, as much as we might slate McFazdeen and, and Thomas, um, I think Gomez is the one that sticks out as we gave him, a by our 
um, kind of accounts a pretty decent contract to get a contract that long out of us. And three months into it, we've recognised he's utter rubbish and he's nowhere near the team. That That is the biggest mistake we've made more than any of the others, in my opinion. I think with, with Charles Grant, he's come in with a head full of dreams. He wants us to go up and up. And it, it just seems like it's all going up in flames instead. Those answers, as, as you guys have said, it felt like a politician's was a politician was answering those questions someone who's incredibly media trained it didn't it also didn't feel like he necessarily wanted to be there did it no i think uh, i think there was a certain element of him being press ganged if that's the right term into it i think whether whether that's our doing um i don't know i'm not trying to claim that we we're some massive media force but it it did it, i i did find it interesting that it, it was immediately the week having heard nothing and I mean nothing effectively since last August um that it was the week that the pod had um had, had made some some valid comments and also I kind of reiterated pretty much that on Tuesday night on Radio Stoke as well um and I, I found the timing very, very interesting. But as he said, he did look like he didn't necessarily want to be there. And I also found it odd that he was he was front and centre following the game yesterday, or rather the lack of game yesterday. Almost like somebody has said, wait a minute, you need to be taking some flack here and you need to be visible because otherwise we're going to have a, a bit of a um, civil war on our hands, which... I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts were seeing him yesterday as well, all of a sudden. Popping up twice in a week, it was a bit, it was a bit weird that he'd been silent for so long and suddenly there he was holding court about the lack of game. It, it did feel like they've, they have listened to the comments that have been made maybe on social media and here on Radio Stoke as well. And that's no bad thing, is it? If the club are listening and the club are, you know, responding, we're all, we're all trying to, pull in the same direction and I, I, I hope that the powers that be within the club realise that we all care as deeply as those guys do and as I've said before I do know um, some of the senior figures at the club reasonably well and I know that they're as big Alex fans as we are and they're as gutted as, as we are about the way the way that this season's gone um, but it, you know it's not a bad thing that they're listening and they're responding I just um it, it, it'd just be nice if there was a bit more substance to it. It feels like we're, we're tearing up all the great work we've put in over the past three years off on the pitch and off the pitch, and we're, mm. we're hurtling back to square one, doesn't it? Shall we move on then? On Wednesday, we received the saddening news that former chairman of 34 years, John Bowler, has passed away. It is widely believed that without John's dedication to the club, then we wouldn't have a club at all. Now, I'd like to introduce producer Dave into this conversation too, uh, you guys have been supporters of this club a lot longer than I have. So I'd like to throw the tribute and debate uh, to you guys to help understand just how big his legacy is. Yeah, it's um, it'd be a miss, wouldn't it, to not mention him at all. And uh, feel free to jump in, guys. But, you know, it, we wouldn't be a club without John Bowler um, and what he's done. You know, we wouldn't be in the league. Maybe we might not be solvent. We might not exist at all. Um, but obviously with what's been going on, in the last few years, you know, it's very delicate. And I have heard on the grapevine that apparently he didn't want any kind of recognition from the club. 
Um, I don't know whether that's true or not. I don't know whether the club is, you know, organising some kind of minutes silence or minutes applause or whatever that would, you know, that was due to have taken place at the uh, at the game yesterday, and I suppose now would be on at the Oxford game on Tuesday. Um, but it, you know, if that is the case, um, it's not our place to to say what should happen. But you know, I have heard rumblings that there are some fans suggesting that maybe the fans ought to sort of take it on themselves to give a some kind of tribute, whether that be a, an, an impromptu minutes applause, say in the eighth minute, you know, to mark the eight years that we spent in the second tier when John Bowler was chairman, or whether it's a minute silence that everybody just sort of holds to themselves at some point before or during the match or whatever. Um, you know, it's it's obviously a, a very sort of delicate tightrope to, to walk, especially with the, the club. If it's true that they're not, you know, planning on holding some kind of a official thing um but you know some kind of quiet and respectful appreciation of all that he did without brushing over all the the Benel situation um without at all being disrespectful to the victims as well you know maybe that is something that that could happen but you know we just don't know at this stage what is planned if anything but I think certainly from a personal point of view there ought to be some kind of recognition yeah, just to jump in there, Dave, I think you some certainly my my own personal views up quite well there in that um the man had given so so many years to the club and I'm not sure where we'd have been without that guidance and that um nous and that know-how and that dedication. So um I absolutely sort of heartily stand by your your thoughts and your words there. Yeah. yeah, I think, sorry, just to jump in, I think during my time watching crew, I think um, John Bowler presided over probably some of the, the the greatest moments those years in the championship. Obviously, as we've all alluded to here, he also presided over some of, some of the most sort of low points and, and we can't we can't ignore that. Um, but I think like both of you have said, if it wasn't for him, I don't think we'd be here recording this pod because I'm not sure there, there might be a club anymore. And what he and Dario set up in terms of, of how the club runs is is um, kind of led us to those those great years in the championship and we wouldn't be here now without him. OK, well, thank you for listening to the Railway Men podcast. And as always, thank you uh, to Steve Hatton. Thank you very much. James Tate. Thank you. And the man who's clearly got a metaphor book for Christmas, Steve Bennett. No problem. Cheers, guys. Always, always a joy. Uh, the man in the background, producer Dave. Thank you. Until next time, goodbye. Dang, 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 ding, dong, ding, blue moon.